So uh, as I said, we, we're going to start a, a series called Transformed uh, Life. Uh, before I do, let's just, let's just again just bow our heads. Let's pray and uh, invite God to, uh, to really speak into our hearts. So Father, we thank you for firsts, as we heard before. And I pray that today will be a day for the first time you speak in a new way in our lives. Perhaps for the first time someone will turn their heart to you. Perhaps for the first time someone will get a truth and understanding that we didn't have before. Perhaps for the first time we'll receive a powerful gift from you. Lord, we are expectant, Lord, because we know that you are an almighty God. You're our loving Father. Lord, you are a good, good Father. You know each one of us intimately. You know where we are at. You know where we're going. You know who we are, the reason why we're here. You know the purpose for our lives. You know where we belong. Lord, you know us through and through. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will meet us where we are today. This one at this stage in life, this at another, but wherever we are, we pray, Holy Spirit, meet with us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I said, I'm looking forward to this uh, season of uh, 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 teaching over uh, the summer. And uh, we, as I said, we'll be taking a spiritual journey together. And we'll be looking or focusing on three critical questions. Who am I? Where do I fit? And what am I living for? I think you'll agree that in the society that we live in today, we might have heard answers to these questions before we may have considered them deeply. But, you know, the more that we hear this and understand the, our identity, who we are in Christ, our belonging, and the purpose that God has for our lives, the more that we understand that and get that and get excited about that, the more that we can give that away to others too. You know, we have a, a world that is uh, desperately crying out for answers. I mean, look at the news, read the papers, or however we get our information from the internet, wherever. What we see is a world in confusion. People confused about their identity. People trying to find all different ways to find a place to belong. And find a purpose or an answer uh, for, for life. And so you can see that these questions are, uh, and the, vital, uh, the answer to this question is vital to our whole existence and our security. It's so important uh, that we're clear about and secure about these issues. And if we're not, it's a little bit like the story of the ugly duckling. And uh, the story is based on a fairy tale, we all know it well, by Hans Christian Andersen, which tells a tale of a young bird who was born in a family of ducks, only to be abused and rejected. And, uh, and because he clearly didn't look like the other ducks, there he was, getting picked on by the other ducklings. Cast out from the family, he wandered around, trying to find a place for acceptance and belonging, but ended up spending a miserable winter all alone. Can we have an R? All alone. And when spring came, a flock of swans descended on the uh, icy lake that was thawing. And as a last resort, this uh, bird, this uh, forlorn, sad bird, approaches the other swans and he looks at them admiringly and thinks, wow, how amazing. 
But to his amazement, the other swans accepted him. And then he looked at his own reflection in the water and realized that he wasn't who he thought he was. But actually, he was a beautiful swan. And now he'd grown up and gone through all these difficulties. Here he was. And sometimes we can feel a bit like this ugly duck, duckling, confused about our identity, struggling to fit in and not knowing our life purpose. And as a result, we can define ourselves by how others treat us and allow their rejection or abuse to shape us rather than being secure in our, own, in our uniqueness. Um, or we can be caught in a comparison trap, looking at how, how others seem to be blessed and in ways that maybe we don't feel we're being blessed. They're more successful than us. They might be more popular than we are. We might assess our worth through social media, how many friends that we've got on Facebook, or how many followers on Twitter, or how many likes we get on Instagram. At other times, we get confused about uh, defining our self-worth by looking at our value in terms of our financial worth, how much we can earn, the car that we drive, the clothes that we wear, the job that we do, our social status in life. And that's what happens if we try to identify our, uh, ourselves, our belonging and our purpose by looking in the wrong places. If you want to find the right answers to the questions, who am I, where do I fit and what am I living for, we've got to go to God. Why? Well, he's our creator. He alone made us. He knows why we're born and knows why we're made. In Psalm 139 and verse 14, the psalmist says this, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Do you know that full well? You're fearfully and you're wonderfully made. Made in the very image of God. And we need to realize that. Understand this. You are of infinite worth and value. In Ephesians 2 verse 10, and I'm going to come on to this a little bit later on as I speak in a bit more depth, but it says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance to do. For us to do. God, our loving Heavenly Father and Creator, has gone to great lengths to help us to understand ourselves through His Word, through the Bible. And there's three key truths that I want to start with. Uh, we need to realize. And the first is this that we have been marvelously, wonderfully made. And I want to illustrate this by. By looking at this uh, smartphone, uh, some of you might have a preference for a certain brand of phone than others. Some people might not like this particular brand, but it's very, it's brilliant. The technology in here is, is quite fantastic. I don't understand how you can possibly get the technology to hold all the information, photographs and emails and all the different email accounts that I have and everything in social media. I can even touch this thing, or I used to be able to, with my finger and uh, the fingerprint would open it for me. It recognizes who I am. It's an amazing piece of tech, isn't it? And 
It's not nearly amazing, as, however, as you are and as I am. Just take, for example, the human body. The, the, the way that we're made, the, the systems, the way they work together, even the simplest elements of the human body are more complex and more incredible than this technology. I was uh, listening to someone talking about the, um, the, the cell membrane. You, you must think I'm quite boring. Who listens to talks on the cell membrane? But I, I was just fascinated by the, the intricacy, the complexity of the most simple part of the human body. It is infinitely more complex than this. Incredible. And then you think of the rest of our body, our eyes, the ability to see and to, to look around, to see colors and things like that. Even if our eyesight's not particularly brilliant, the, 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 the fact that we have the ability to see images and movement and things like this is, is quite incredible. And then you look at our, our brains, the capacity to think and remember and do these things. We, we are incredible, our hearts, the, the function of the liver and uh, the, the organs within us. We are so complex and so amazing. And that is just our body. And now think about our inner capacity to reason, our emotions, our decision-making, our ability to give and receive love, to be joyful, to be creative. All of this is due to the fact that we are specially designed as human beings uh, to be the very crown of God's creation. If we look at Genesis 1, the first chapter of the Bible, we read the following words. It says in verse 27 to 28, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful, increase in number, and fill the earth and subdue it. Notice that it was, was something here of our original identity. We're made in the very image of God. I think a, a great big wow <laughs> is in order here. Made to reflect something of the wonder of the creator himself. What a glorious identity each one of us has. And notice that our place of original belonging was in human community. Not just individuals alone and isolated, but called to be together, male and female, both using their gifts to complement one another, blessing to one another, blessing to this world to spread the glory and the love and the presence of God in this world. God's original purpose, to be blessed and empowered by God, to be God's co-rulers and stewards governing the rest of creation for his glory. So if this is the case, if we as human beings have been marvelously made with a glorious identity, a secure place of belonging and high purpose, why then do we struggle so much? And part of the reason is that like the ugly duckling, we fail to see how marvelous we made we are. Rarely we think in terms of, of the designer, of, of how we're made, our original design. But there's something more than that, isn't there? We know has gone wrong. We've been marvelously made, but we've also been fatally flawed. And I mentioned before that uh, I used to be able to put my fingerprint on there, and this phone would recognize my fingerprint. The problem is I dropped this phone, <laughs> and it's now fatally flawed. Uh, very sadly, fatally flawed. I'm now having to use one of my daughter's old uh, phones uh, to 
to, 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 to do all of that. But uh, So I dropped it. I had a case on as well, would you believe? But it seems to have just totally destroyed the use of this phone. I can just about switch it on and just see a few blurred images, but it doesn't function uh, the way it should. And something similar uh, but worse we know has happened to humanity. Look at the lives of the, uh, and, and the world, look at our lives and the world around us. And we see that it's so easy to see that something isn't working. There is, as I said before, this crisis of identity, uh, dysfunctional family life, fear. So often we get racked with fear, don't we? It's not just me, is it? We get fear and shame and guilt and, and all of these things. Uh, we get anxious about things we shouldn't. There's poverty. There's sickness in our bodies. There's frailties. There's all of these things going on in this world as well. We see in Genesis 3 how human beings turned their backs on God and as a result were separated from him and cut off from his life. And the Bible presents this picture of the tragic consequences of this. And it says in, in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And the Message Bible puts it differently. It says, utterly incapable of living the glorious lives that God wills for us. Incapable of it. All of us naturally live below what God intended for us. We've suffered a serious dysfunction. And uh, there are still aspects of our lives that do reflect the original design and glory of God. If there's anything good in us, however, in our own selves, it comes from the way that God made you and made me not because in any way that we are particularly good. Essentially, our true design has been messed up. And since our security and identity comes from God, we're no longer in right relationship with him. We look for this in all the wrong places. Uh, several years ago, this is going back quite a few years, to show me age here, Boris Becker was at the top of, his, of the tennis world. And uh, yet, he confessed that he was on the brink of suicide. He said that I had won Wimbledon twice. I was rich. I had all the material possessions I needed, but I had no inner peace. I was a puppet on a string. And I, he's not the only one that feels that sense of emptiness. Uh, Jack Higgins, um, again, uh, an author from way back when, he wrote a number of successful novels, and one of them was called uh, The Eagle Has Landed. And he was asked if he would, uh, what he would like to have known as a young boy. And this is what he said. He says, that when you get to the top, there's nothing there. So where does that leave us? Desperate, in need of rescue and restoration. But the good news is, and this is what this series is about, is that we can be totally transformed through Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he came from heaven to earth that we might have life, life in all its fullness. And he showed us what perfect humanity looks like. He showed us what the Father's like. He died on the cross, was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit and has authority over every power and authority in the heavens. When we repent and we confess to him, uh, our sins and believe in him and make him Lord of our lives, 
believing he's risen from the dead, then we're transformed by the spiritual rebirth. He gives us power for glorious living and a certain hope of the resurrection. This is a great hope, folks. We're living in this truth if we know Jesus Christ. And Paul speaks much about the power of God in the first chapter of Ephesians. We can achieve this kind of change that God intends for us by, or we can't achieve this, this uh, change that God uh, has for us by trying our best to be good. There has to be, there must be a transformation of our nature first. The Bible uses a word that I learned at school many, many years ago, the word metamorpho, uh, metamorphosis. And uh, we know it from the transformation of a, of a caterpillar, uh, which transforms into this beautiful butterfly. And it still has, I don't know whether you've ever noticed caterpillars, but I, I was fascinated by them as a kid. But it's interesting that you look at these patterns on, the, on a caterpillar's back, and you see those reflected in the butterfly, in some of the patterns, or a moth, or even the moths, and so they have these patterns and these shapes, these forms on them. And you look at the caterpillar and you see the, the butterfly, and you see a, a reflection of something. But how much more glorious the butterfly from the caterpillar? And this is the transformation that God wants, not just a, a minor change in us, but a total transformation into something new and glorious. Now, one day we know that we're going to be more glorious than we can, uh, can imagine. He talks about new bodies that we'll have at the resurrection. That's the glory of that. But we are changed now as well. We should be reflecting and can reflect something of the glory and the majesty of God even now. Amen? <laughs> so Paul speaks about the power of God in the first chapter of Ephesians. And um, he says this, he says, if anyone is in Christ, we know this, then he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. That's in 2 Corinthians 5.17. But he also says in Ephesians this, it says, uh, Ephesians 1 verses 18 through to 19. It says, I keep asking. I think he's keeping asking because he knows that we need this. He kept on asking. And I believe there's a legacy of Paul's prayer today. He keeps asking. And we should keep asking too. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And that power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above every rule and authority and power and dominion and every title that can be given to men, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. Glory to God. He wants to give us his great power. Ephesians 3, verse 16 to 21, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of God. God has a great storehouse of riches. And within that storehouse of riches is the availability for us of his power. 
power that gives us strength and ability to live godly lives, power that transforms us into the image of God, power that's rooted in the very love of God. This is the power that God wants for us to have, a power working in us, transforming us, changing us, metamorphosis, that we might become the glory of Christ, lights in this dark world. Do we want this power at work in us? I want, I'm desperate for this power. Do you know, I had a revelation, uh, a, a real sense of, of God's, uh, of this prayer, of this thing that God wants to flood our hearts with light and give us uh, knowledge and understanding and all of these things. But this is another revelation, something newer first, that God wants you to have his power dwelling in you, to live glorious lives for him. We cannot do it without him. We need the power of God at work within us. Paul was eager for us to have this power at work. It's like Jesus takes this iPhone. Sorry, I don't know whether I should have said iPhone. There's so many different, but anyway, I've said it now. Uh, he completely restores it. Jesus comes to, to, to fix our inner dysfunction. He mends our hard drive. He gives us a glorious new transformed identity, a place of belonging, an ultimate purpose in life, even better than our original identity before things went wrong. When we become Christians, God does an amazing, immediate work in us and then an ongoing work also. An amazing transformation that I and I know so many of you here can testify to. God transforms us and changes from the inside, doesn't he? And the first step of this transformed life, as I mentioned before, is to become a Christian. Turn to Christ, laying down your life to take up the life that he's planned for you. Don't simply become a Christian, uh, and that's it. God wants you to grow and to go on a journey of discovery of who we are in Christ and then what it means to live our lives in the light of this. That's the introduction <laughs> to what I want to say. Ephesians 1, verses 1 to 2. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And in these few verses, Paul introduces to us these three great themes of the transformed life, identity, belonging, and purpose. And Paul's beginning to show us something of the wonder of this transformed life, which unfolds, uh, which will unfold more and more as we go through this book. If I was to ask you today the question, who are you? I think we might get a, a range of different answers. Uh, now, for those of you who've done the Freedom in Christ course, and I know some of you will be doing it later on this year as well, uh, it's a fantastic journey. It's well worth doing. But the, one of the first questions it looks, like, it, uh, looks at is this question of who you are. And on the surface, it looks like a very simple question, doesn't it? Well, I'm Rob Payett. Uh, no, that's just your name. Well, I'm a pastor, Kingsway Christian Fellowship. No, that's what you do. I'm British. Well, that's where you live. Is the person you're looking at then really me? About six foot tall, grey receding hair, a little bit overweight, uh, not as fit as we used, whatever. Is that really me that you're looking at? If you chopped off an arm, would I still be me? If you chopped off a leg, would I still be me? Where am I then? If you keep on chopping, will you eventually find who I truly am? 
Well, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 16, he says, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. But often we do, don't we? We see people purely from a worldly point of view. Paul's answer to the question is, I am who God says I am. We were made in his image. And uh, he is not flesh and blood, he is spirit. I'm amazed at the things that I've tried to build my sense of identity on, um, especially before I became a Christian. But even after it, I think all of us can testify to the fact that if, we, if we're honest with ourselves, we're perhaps placing our identity on things that we shouldn't still. But more and more, we need to find our true identity in Christ. There can be so many things that um, we're drawn to, uh, to, to or we, we draw on to, for our self-identity, self, uh, for our sense of identity. Um, for some, it's what they do or uh, what they own. For others, it might be uh, about what we've achieved or even uh, for successful people uh, who have much wealth and so on, they might... Uh, be on this roller coaster ride of their sense of identity through their work and their career and what they can earn and, and so on. But Paul, it was very simple for Paul. For those who've experienced the transformed life, uh, our sense of identity comes not from what we do, but from what God has done for us. And he calls his readers as well, he calls them saints, doesn't he? And uh, I, I googled, um, How do you become a saint? on on Google. I thought that'd be interesting to see what Google has to say about this. And um, I came across a, a, the BBC website, would you believe? Um, this uh, trusted broadcaster of ours um, has a definition of the five steps of sainthood that uh, are taken from the Roman Catholic uh, tradition. And this isn't, by the way, to knock any tradition at all. Uh, step one to sainthood is to wait five years, but that's five years after you've died so that uh, your case might be evaluated to objectively to, uh, uh, once the emotions and things have died down, we can look at this and, and see whether you truly are a saint. Uh, some have waited a little longer than five years. It took uh, St. Bede uh, 1,164 years to be declared a, a saint. And, um, and then step two is you must become a servant of God. Well, I agree, you need to be, need to be servants of God. It's part of our calling God is to serve, and we want to, with his transformed nature, to serve him and honor him. But this would require a very serious investigation by a bishop to establish whether your good works merit the accolade servant of God. And then step three, you've got to show uh, uh, proof of a heroic virtue. There must be evidence of holiness, you know, work and signs that people have been drawn to prayer through your example. And uh, if this is evidence, then you can be given the title Venerable. And then there's verified miracles is step four. Is there verifiable uh, evidence that there's miracles being performed through your, your prayers? And then the fifth step, and additional verified miracles have occurred after you've died. Um, and that's uh, not, necessarily, uh, not necessary if you were martyred. So that's a relief uh, for your faith. So for many people, the word saint is reserved for, the, for very few people, for special people, and uh, so difficult, so very difficult to, to attain. But Paul, in his address to all his readers, uh, to, to his readers, he addresses every one of us. 
who believe as saints. He's saying it's not reserved just for the few, but for everyone who's in Christ. Not based on what you've done, but the fact that you've, made, you've been made brand new in him. We're placed in Christ and take on the very same status before God as Jesus had. Isn't that amazing? Free access into the very presence of God. Incredible. The implications are huge for your identity. It's, it's not, nothing to do with what you have or haven't done, but what happened when you became a Christian. When someone becomes a Christian, they're completely changed in their identity. You're brand new. You're a sinner and now you're a saint set apart and consecrated for God. So I'm a saint. Say, say I'm a saint. Come on, join in. I'm a saint. <laughs> we often see things the wrong way around though, don't we? If um, we think that if we could be a bit more holy, if we could get things right, then I might be able to come a, become a saint. But what the Bible teaches us is the other way around. You are a saint and now start living like one. Now, so many of us uh, as well, we allow ourselves to let our sense of, uh, of identity be shaped by all the wrong things. Maybe you've been told by others uh, your identity. Maybe you've taken on what others have said about you, the labels that they've placed on you. Maybe they've placed on you a label of failure or reject or orphan or loner or boring or useless or ugly. Those labels no longer need to identify who you are because you're brand new. When you become a Christian, God gives you a whole new set of names, some of which we are going to be looking at in more detail as we go through this series. But you are a saint. You are beloved. You're a precious child. You're a son or daughter of the King of Kings. Therefore, you're royalty. You're priceless. You're a prince and you're a princess. I want to encourage you during this season to start to recognize and to acknowledge who you truly are in Christ. And then the second great theme Paul introduces here is a sense of belonging. And if I were to ask you today where you belong, I wonder where, what you would say. But Paul would have said, I fit into God's family. And, uh, and I wonder if you would agree that there is, there is this fundamental need for all of us to find a place to belong. In school, there's often the in-crowd. Uh, maybe you're in the in-crowd, but like most of us ordinary mortals, we wanted to be in the in-crowd. Uh, I've got a, a great news for you, though, today. When you became a Christian, you became part of the greatest place of belonging on planet Earth, the, the, the family of God. And uh, why is that so great? Well, first of all, it's because of who our Father is, the creator of the universe. You've been chosen. You've been adopted. You're not just here by chance. You're a chosen one. God knows you, and he's chosen you for himself. And it says in Ephesians 2.18, for through him we both have access to the Father by the one Spirit. This is an amazing statement to make for, for the readers, because at one time it was only the Jewish people who had access it was only them who were considered chosen. But by revelation, Paul showed us that no, it's no longer just for the, 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 those people to be able to go to the temple and worship. But we have free access through Christ. 
just as the high priest was able to go into the Holy of Holies. He was the only person once a year, yet now we have access to the Holy of Holies through Christ. Not just once a year, 24-7, 365 days a year, we have access to the creator of the universe. Ephesians 2 verse 19 in the Amplified Bible says, Therefore you are no longer outsiders, exiles, migrants, and aliens excluded from rights of citizenship, but you now share citizenship with the saints, God's own people, consecrated and set apart for himself, and you belong to God's household, God's own household. We are citizens by birthright. Your birth certificate's been changed God has written on it, citizen of heaven, member of my family, child by birthright. You belong to God's household. Isn't that fantastic? This is where we belong, folks. And then the third and final theme of what I have to say, Paul introduces a, another critical question for us. What are you living for? And to make the most out of life, we need to understand where are we going? What it's all about? There's a story about Albert Einstein who was taking a, a train to speak at a meeting and the conductor stopped to punch his ticket and, uh, and uh, he, he was searching everywhere. He couldn't find his ticket. He was looking in his pockets and his case and he just couldn't find his, uh, his ticket. And the conductor said to him, don't worry, sir, I know who you are and I trust that you've bought a ticket. And as he started to move away, he saw Albert Einstein starting to crawl on the floor and he's looking under the seats and scrabbling around for his ticket. And this conductor came back to him and said, oh, I, I believe you, don't worry. I, I, and he says, no, he, Einstein said. He, he said, um, I know who I am as well, he said. Um, he said. Sorry, he said, I know where I'm going as well, he said, but, and I know who I am, but I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> He'd forgotten where he was going. So it wasn't the identity he was worried about. It was his destiny. And uh, so this is so important that we understand our destiny Paul was acutely aware that uh, he uh, discovered a purpose um, on earth. Uh, for the, the, he, he knew the will of God. And uh, when we become part of God's family, it's like he switches on a purpose switch in our lives. The eternal creator of the world who planned uh, the heaven and the earth connects us into his plans, uh, the plans he created uh, for us and the part that we must play in those. And this sense of purpose starts to pervade everything, not just the big things in life, but also the ordinary and everyday things of life. There's a purpose in it. There's a reason for it. And I mentioned before that scripture uh, uh, from Ephesians that we are his workmanship, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand for us to do, to, to, to walk in. The amazing promise this is, that you're God's workmanship. Now, he's the one who's made you for an extraordinary uh, purposes, his masterpiece. Now, just do something for me, will you, just quickly. Just, just rub the back of your neck, just here. Okay. And do you feel that? It's, uh, it, it's God's designer label. You've been made in heaven by design. You're not an accident. You're designed by choice, uh, not by circumstances of your birth. God's chosen you, designed you with his purpose in mind. Designed for what? For good works. Co-laborers with God to see his plans fulfilled. Just think of this. The all-powerful, all-knowing, every, everywhere present God 
has made plans for this world and he intends that you and I should join in making them happen. What's more, as we step into those things, we find that he's gone ahead of us to prepare the way. A perfect fit, perfectly made, designed for the plans that he has for your life. Let's just finish there and let's just pray, shall we bow our heads as we finish and then we'll have uh, some, some refreshments together. So Father, I thank you, as we've said, that each one of us here, individually, Lords are fearfully and wonderfully made. Our identity is found in you. We belong here in the family of God for your purposes and plans. For you, Lord, and we thank you that you have a purpose for each of our lives. And so, Father, we just give ourselves to you. We, again, as we did at the beginning, just open ourselves to you and say, Lord, have your way in my life. I can trust you with your plans because they are good and pleasing and perfect. Amen.